back to Self-Care with Dr. Sarah. I'm Sarah B. And I'm Sarah R. And the topic for this episode is especially relevant to Sarah R. and myself. It's moving. So self-care related to changing locations because of your academic path. So I just relocated from the University of Washington, and I've been at MIT for about three days. And Sarah... I just moved to Scotland from the U.S., um, and so I will be starting uh, October 1st at the University of St. Andrews, my very first postdoc, which I'm excited about, also terrified about, and, uh, <laughs> Big you know, transition. <laughs> yeah, big transition. So. so in addition to the professional transition, for both of us, it's also a transition of thousands of miles. Yes. Um, Wait, we so, should we should calculate who went further. Cause you did, I'm sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like across <laughs> the U.S. is freaking huge. You know. I was counting. I was thinking time zones. Time. Oh, I beat you on right, time right? zones. Five. I got yeah. Five. Right. Yeah. I <laughs> know. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I also um, lived in Boston before. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, it probably is less jolting, maybe on a couple of fronts. Um, I mean, let's be honest, it's the same country, too. You know, like. Yeah, I know. Taxes, it's the same country. I know. <laughs> same country, same country. Um, so part of the reason why I actually reached out to Sarah um, when she was in the middle of a really fun adventure at the end of graduate school, and I was feeling a lot of anxiety about moving and just generally having a lot of feelings about moving. Uh, and so one of the ways that I actually do self-care now is the podcast with Sarah um, <laughs> here that now that we're on um, episode 11. So I reached out to her because I was struggling with some parts of it and I wanted to kind of think aloud together mm-hmm. about the strategies that we have related to moving and also about moving within the academic context, yeah. um, how it is a very challenging thing to do uh, for one's health. Um, yes. and we kind of draw on research about that. And then also, um, we try to apply in particular the lens of gender to moving mm-hmm. related to academic relocation yeah. and just self-care with moving, which honestly, um, if you can tell from my voice, I am a little <laughs> different register right now cause I'm mm-hmm. sick. So I, I maybe didn't do the self-care when moving as, as, <laughs> No, you as did. Actually, as I might have wanted. No, Sarah, you did. You did. You had about a gazillion things that just went like very slightly wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. It's a story for maybe later in the podcast, but um, yeah, no, we both moved, and and it happens a lot in academia, right? Like uh, moving is just kind of expected. You move a lot. You move, you know, well, first maybe for undergrad, then for grad school, then for a postdoc, and then. Yeah, maybe another postdoc and then, you know, maybe hopefully eventually a tenure track position and, and still people move it, you know, after, uh, at the professor level, um, you know, people move around a lot. So it's, you're expected to pick up and make new routes in different places on a pretty fast time scale. In fact, I think like grad school, you know, of course not, you know, absent tenure, grad school is like the longest you stay in a place, uh, in the academic kind of career path for a while. Yeah. Um, Which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, I guess I felt some frustration um, was one of the predominant feelings that was kind of in the mix uh, thinking about moving because it definitely seemed to be um, a very common response that I would get when I would say that I'm thinking about moving or whatnot is that people in academia would say, well, of course you'll do that. Yeah, of course you'll take a job. Like, is that a great place? So that's just kind of to be expected. And it was very clear implicitly 
that to consider the location too much is sort of unprofessional um, yeah. or reflects on your lack of devo devotion to the field or your, yeah. your lack of ambition or something. Um, and that's kind of, that's unspoken, but it feels very clear in a lot of conversations. Like, of course you'll move many times. Um, that's just part of the game. It's what, it's yeah. what people do. And I felt in my heart a very strong resistance to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, honestly, uh, you know, in terms of my priorities, we've, we've probably talked about this before, Sarah, but maybe not on the podcast. Location is one of my top priorities of yeah. where I end up in, in the future and, and now. And, and I, you know, and I was able to make, a, you know, a choice this time, thankfully, that did fit, you know, a location that worked really well for me. Um, but it is a top priority to me. And I hope to be able to make that work with my future career options, but it's not a given, right? It's, it is hard. And, and, you know, only the future will tell what that will, will mean for me. But it is, like you said, it, it does seem like there's this attitude in academia that location is expected to be not important almost at all. Right. Yeah. Like it's not even good. Yeah. It, you could be given a job opportunity in maybe the worst possible place and <laughs> you're still expected to take it. You know? Yeah. It's like, you're still expected. Um, let me tell my story. We talked about before <laughs> Sarah loves the story. Um, <laughs> which is story. like in, in, uh, very explicit terms, <laughs> like the, the downplaying of location was made very clear to me. So, um, I was lucky enough, um, in my, uh, postdoc adventures so far to have uh, a running shot at a tenure track position um, at a place. And I was talking about it with a person who's one of my mentors. And I, <laughs> and I was expressing reservations about it. Um, firstly, because I was very, very happy uh, in Seattle where I was living. So I was wanting to see whether it would be a possibility, first of all, to stay in Seattle. I wasn't sure yet what was going to come of that. And also, I wasn't sure if I wanted to move to the city. In fact, I knew I didn't want to. So, uh, but I wasn't saying that explicitly, but I think it was kind of communicated in my tone because this mentor figure kind of got a little frustrated and um, sort of gave me this whole rigmarole where where he said, well, there's only so many places, Sarah, that offer the PhD program in astronomy. So uh, this is one of them. So what's wrong with it? Yeah. Basically, and I bl <laughs> and I, I blurted out, it has three Walmarts. <laughs> I love it. I just love that you Googled that factoid. <laughs> I, I, I didn't Google it. I didn't Google it, Sarah. Like, I had been to the place. But still, I had been to but the you place. noticed. I mean, you know, that is like... Of course I noticed. Of course I noticed. I was like, is that another Walmart? I like, oh, I, sh I should have even said it has, like, greater than or equal to Greater than or equal to. Okay, yeah. Because I, I, like, saw three Walmarts. Anyway, so, um, and it, he kind of laughed at that. I, get, I mean, I guess to his credit, but he was like, I'm sure it has culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure it has culture. And I, and I said, but ha have you ever lived in a place that you, essentially that you didn't want to live, yeah, you know, yeah. or have you ever not lived in a big city? And he was kind of like, well, no, but listen <laughs> that. And I was like, I just, yeah. you know, <laughs> so it all worked out for you, but it all me, worked out for you. Yeah. But yeah, where he was like, well, this is a, you know, this is a program. So if you want to, I thought you wanted to be a professor in astronomy. I, thought, I remember what, that. Um, quote, yeah. Yeah, that was, was what he was saying. I thought you wanted this. So yeah. why are you hesitating? And it was very clear uh, explicitly in that conversation that location w shouldn't even be among the things I was thinking about. Yeah. It's not even like he was saying, well, maybe 
this other thing, you know, you should really weigh it against such and such. He was saying it shouldn't even be a consideration, you know, and because there's a PhD program there. And I felt the kind of absurdity of that. Uh, At least in that moment, I kind of realized like, but you're still a human being. You only have one life to live. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense yeah. to just forget about especially that. Especially when the person saying this hasn't made the same sacrifice, you know, but it is true yeah, that I know. it's true that all throughout academia, that is the, that is the assumption, you know, and, and that, I think this also plays a role in when people take positions at say liberal arts colleges. Sometimes people at mm-hmm. research uh, institutions uh, feel that that might be, making that decision for um, location and somehow that seems like sometimes people seem disappointed with that decision even though that could be very well the best decision for that person's happiness career also you know mentoring students and and everything you know and so there is kind of even when it's a a good choice like a that's a really strong theme on our podcast is that really good choices for oneself can be really just can be totally dismissed like in the really common cultural narrative about being a scientist and this is only one of them where you're you feel in your heart that location matters and you feel in your heart that proximity to a partner matters Mm -hmm. you know if you have that situation and yet it it's treated like it's not only like it's less important that it's not important yeah and and Uh what we really should be thinking about is location especially self-care and your personal happiness and health and all that stuff correlates with your work success so if you're in a place where you are happy and you feel supported and you're around um either your partner or support network friends family you know or just a place that makes you feel good for me you know that isn't a big city you know uh uh, contrary contrary to a lot of people i actually really like quieter environments and i after having moved to scotland i just feel less stressed like just being around you know like a smaller community Mm You know, I'm going to miss some things, certainly, about bigger cities, but it's, um, you know, I can feel already that, you know, I will, I think, function better uh, in this environment just due to the kind of ah, peace that I feel. Plus, I get to see dolphins outside my window, sir. I get to see dolphins. <laughs> dolphins. I didn't know Scotland had dolphins, but I live on the uh, harbor, and they have all told me here in this little town that May to August, dolphins. And my window in my lounge looks right out over the harbor. I'm so excited. <laughs> Do you remember those? <laughs> Do you remember those, like, Lisa Frank binders, like, from the 90s? I feel like that's your life. It's all bright colors and dolphins <laughs> and shiny. <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I'm that's basically what it's like. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that said, it's, it, you know, it is, it, that, that's annoying. And as we were talking about, Sarah, it's expe- it's expected, maybe not expected is the right word. It The burden seems to fall more on women in academia than it does on men. Uh, because, as you mentioned, uh, you know, women are predominantly way more likely to be married to another academic. What is it, like 70% of women are married to? Oh, yeah. We were, before um, we turned on our mics, we were talking about um, an article that was published in Status, Mm -hmm. which is the American Astronomical Society's um, publication, one of their publications. And in uh, June of 2014, I was kind of perusing uh, the findings of this demographic study related to um, location uh, changes. So as a function of one's uh, partner status mm. um, and also as a function of one's gender. So I was kind of sharing some of that with Sarah, although it is public and um, listeners can look it up and we'll link to it on our website. Um, and one of those things was, it was kind of 
reflecting on the gendered nature of academic relationships. So it cited a study from Earth and Planetary Science, which is different from uh, astronomy, but the findings apparently held in astronomy as well. There's other sciences where it was something like 70% of um, earth and professional earth and planetary scientists who are women, those who are in long-term partnerships or married are married to other earth and planetary scientists, and only 30% of the men are. And the, the real thrust of this particular study was just how difficult it is to be near your partner when either of you is academic. And expected to move without regard to location or family location. I mean, that's getting better. The two-body problem is getting more attention, but it's still, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, we just lived apart for six years, and then we both happened to miraculously get tenure at Harvard. And I'm like, well, that's, that's... (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a story. I don't <laughs> miraculous. That that's that's a story. Yeah, uh, miraculously in the study, it was. Um, I mean, what you were saying about satisfaction uh, and w- productivity was really reflected in this one figure uh, in this chart, which was showing your satisfaction basically mm. with your life um, and with your job as a function of whether you were near your partner mm. or not. I mean, it sounds absurd to even be quoting yeah. a statistic. People are really unsatisfied yeah, when, they're not, yeah. when they're not living in the same place as their partner. And what it found was that on average, people are living apart for five yeah. years. Um, that was the most common thing. And That's a very long time. Anyway, the reason why I think um, I wanted to emphasize why that burden predominantly falls upon women, uh, as Sarah referenced already, is is twofold. The first is that um, because women are so much likelier to be in relationships uh, with other academics in their same field, then they are likelier to make a career sacrifice uh, in location in order to co-locate, in order to be in the same location. Um, And that was borne out in the findings where it was more men than women who had responded to the survey saying, I have made a change in location because of more a More women than men, right? So that was more... Oh, sorry, yeah. other way around. Um, yeah. More women than men have made a change um, to their lo- location of their job um, because of a partner's location change. Uh, and also... We've, we quoted this, in, I think, in the introduction episode, actually, that women are, especially senior women scientists, so those um, who have achieved tenure, uh, or I think maybe it was just women yeah. professors are, are three times likelier than their male peers to be uh, unmarried and, and, or not in serious partnerships and not uh, yeah. parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I was really, I was thinking about that a lot recently because um, I myself currently uh, am not in a relationship with somebody, but that was, I was feeling that really strongly because when I move, it's just yeah. me, you know, and my relationship with my friends in a given community, oftentimes they are what feels yeah. like my family. I don't move with yeah. a team um, where men, male professors move it, with a team, they're much likely three times likelier. Yeah. If they're relocating, they're relocating with a family. I, and that makes it much harder for me to separate from the communities that I've really carefully crafted to meet my needs as a human being and my desire to be helpful to other people and have really loving relationships with them and have them provide me with support um, and all of those wonderful things that friendship provides. And when I separate from those things, I mean, I, it's yeah. misery. Yeah. You know, and that's really... We were talking yeah. about this, and I think one thing that, you, you know, came up with this is often the... For single people uh, or people in not long-term partnerships, it can... That aspect of it can be really... Uh, de- uh, 
you know, diminished or, or people don't understand why someone might have, mm-hmm. you know, a family in and amongst their friends group. I mean, if, you know, if I say, you know, well, my husband's there and I need to be there, people kind of naturally have extend this empathy. Oh, you know, uh, you are married, mm-hmm. therefore I can extend you empathy of why you want to be in that place. But people don't extend the same empathy if you just say, well, I have a really great, you know, friend network. You know, people aren't like, oh, well, yeah. you know, then, therefore, you know, we'll try to find a, two, a multi-body solution for you or whatever. I mean, I'm not sure what, you know, but it's just like there's no, there's no kind of, that's something that I feel... Um, you know, the burden falls, uh, you know, more strongly or like there's a lack of empathy for that and moving is very hard no matter what. Like in some ways, you know, it was easier, uh, you know, for Christian and I to move to Scotland because I had my cat, I have, you know, Christian and so it's automatically like a mini little support team that I can go out and do fun stuff, you know, in a new place and, and go Mm -hmm. to dinner with and, and other things, you know, right Mm -hmm. away. And so that's something that, um, you know, while it's harder to maybe move with a partner because of two jobs and all that stuff, you know, you do, Mm -hmm. um, if you do it successfully, it can be your, your support network is partially preserved, you know, compared to, um, you know, someone who's expected to leave oh, all yeah. friends behind. And one thing we, we've noted, sorry, Sarah, one thing we've noted in the past too, is that when you do have, when you're a woman and you do have a partner who's made a big career change for you, including maybe taking on a caretaker role, we mm. both know people who have said like, okay, well, what's your spouse yeah, really yeah. doing? So this happened, you know? this happened, or like, yeah, what's this their job? to me, especially because Christian took care of my dad yeah. um, while my dad was failing mm-hmm. in health and before my dad passed away. And, and people like good, good people that I love, you know, went up to, went up to him and be like, oh, okay, so uh, when are you going to get a job? You know, and I'm just like standing there on the sideline looking at these people. This, like, is, this, his job. this is a full time, 24 hour a day job. It's probably a lot harder than anything you've done. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's, you know, it was just the lack of respect that's given to a full time caretaker. And you know, both, both men and women, you know, different, different hurdles and different stereotypes being there. But, you know, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, my husband was the one staying at home, uh, you know, and then he felt like he wasn't worthy kind of, you could tell he was like, Oh, he had to like play it off. Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be looking, but uh, you know, of course that was bullshit. You know, he wasn't going to be oh, looking until, yeah. you know, until my dad, um, you know, was no longer with us. And, but he felt like that need to try to come up with something and, and to validate that person's worth in him having a job and, and, you know, making money, even though by doing that, like we were, you know, in a much better financial position anyway, you know, so it was just, it was just all sorts of weird. Um, and that's, and that's happened. But yeah, as you said, I think it falls predominantly on women and this can be a reason. The other thing that kind of was triggered in my mind when we were talking about this is, some people, probably, hopefully not, you know, uh, the listeners of our podcast, I would imagine, but some people <laughs> might use that as a reason to say, oh, but women are just then self-selecting out of high, uh, science. It's, it's a choice. They have their, you know, women are, you know, whatever, you know, naturally more likely to want to leave their job for this. And mm-hmm. that can be then given as sort of a reason why we don't have parity in the sciences and, uh, and math and and STEM fields and a reason why we shouldn't expect gender equality because women are, you know, that's just their personal choice. And, and when really there's a whole lot of factors going into that, you know, that, that you need to unpack yeah. and you can't just like, you, you know, yeah, it is like women are making choices and that is, that's great, but there's a lot of pressure there, you know, because of the mobility 
and needing to be flexible and moving and having difficulty getting a job in locations that match your partners that can make these decisions very difficult and do lead to, um, you know, not, not equitable strain uh, representation. Yeah, I agree. I, that reasoning um, and that argument drives me crazy, too, because I also don't like, I mean, for a lot of reason why I don't, I'm not a big fan of, like, the lean-in school of thought. Also, because I think it's just basically prescribing medicine uh, for something that it, it's yeah. not an ailment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, when people say, well, you should just behave, basically yeah. behave differently and behave in this prescribed fashion that works for yeah. people who aren't you. So what you should <laughs> do is just behave in that then, way. You for, know, change lie, yourself yeah. in a way that's not, that was, and, and at, behave in a way that other people behave when the path is literally yeah. made for them to behave that way. You should just, you should just, even though the path's not cut out for you and people aren't really going to let you walk it and you're going to cut your feet on it, like you should yeah, walk yeah, it yeah. anyway. And if you don't walk yeah. it, then it's your fault. And, I mean, that's just the absurdity of that. Anyway, uh, it just really adds insult to injury, uh, in my humble opinion. So I found that really frustrating, too. And I, I mean, I just wanted to kind of share with listeners and share with you, Sarah, just how real the trauma of moving can be. Because I think it's really, it's really dismissed. It's not only not a part of the calculus that you're supposed to do when you're making a career transition. Um, it's also kind of just not supposed to be that hard of a thing. Generally, it's supposed to be easy. And, um, I was a mess, you know, I was a mess. I loved my city. There was one morning where I, uh, had, (laughs) I was moving out of my apartment. So I woke up just to let the movers in. Like I rolled out of bed to let the movers in. So my (laughs) hair was up. It was all everywhere. And then, (laughs) and then when they would move something, I would like quick grab my broom and brush or whatever and like clean (laughs) under that area. Okay. So like, (laughs) so for four hours then I was cleaning and just like, you know, in that like frantic energy way where you're trying to get out of the apartment so that the next people can move in and whatever. So, and then I moved everything into a car. I had sold my car. So a a wonderful friend had let me borrow her car. So I I got into the car with all these boxes. All my possessions were in boxes. I looked at myself in the mirror. I got into the car and I immediately just started sobbing because I had all of these feelings. I didn't want to move. I had just tried to say goodbye to that space in my apartment where I had felt so much personal growth and so many wonderful things that happened there. So I just sobbed. I looked at myself in the mirror. I looked like an actual (laughs) mess. Like I I looked like an actual dumpster fire. I, my hair was every which way. I had dirt smeared on my I want face. A picture. My eyes, you should like, have taken there was, a like, selfie right there was like te- <laughs> there was like tear streaks through the dirt. <laughs> I looked like a mess, and I I quoted Broad City like in my Facebook that I just looked like a nutso <laughs> person. And I like, that was the yeah, face of moving yeah. for me. Like moving yeah. isn't la la la. It's my first yeah. day at MIT. I'm making little ballerina <laughs> arms. It's my first day at MIT and yay. And career transitions are great. I mean, it's ugly. Like it was, that transition was no yeah. fun. And, um, I guess I wanted to hear too, Sarah, how you had been dealing with the move, like in terms of your self care, like actual strategies for grappling with it. So, cause there's the difficulty of it. I mean, we can talk uh, till we're blue in the face about how hard it is, but like with other things on this podcast, um, we try to grapple with how hard it is with how we care for ourselves and kind of making changes and so on. Um, so Sarah, why don't you, uh, did you do anything different? Yeah, I didn't do any, 
well, so I have pretty standard go-to uh, self-care strategies, and I'll I'll tell you what was hard about it, and what what I've done, and and maybe what I failed at. Because like I said, I am sick right now, so I don't know if my yeah, self-care yeah, yeah. worked entirely a hundred percent. But um, you know what I did is. Okay, well, at first, I think the hardest thing for me was because we were moving overseas and I didn't have a large moving budget. Um, in my in my fellowship, I had $3,000, which for an overseas move is like, I don't know, it's like a drop in the bucket, you know? Yeah, man. And so, um, you know, we packed all of our own stuff and, and it's by volume, so packing it like in a Tetris perfection uh, was really important. <laughs> and so we spent like two solid weeks packing and, you know, throughout the day, like all day, every day, uh, packing just our personal possessions. We didn't even take furniture, but just trying to get the minimum volume and throwing away stuff we didn't need because it was just so expensive and and we had a lot of moving expenses you know uh, in addition to just other you know life moving expenses so what uh so far financial reasons i you know as i was telling you sarah i think like in the end this international move because we had to put six months rent down uh right up front because we didn't have i didn't wasn't working there and we didn't have a bank account in the uk and just all sorts of crazy high moving expenses which made it very difficult and I felt so guilty because it was technically still on the clock, you know, uh, working, but I needed to move at the same time. It was like, we, we have to get out of our apartment, you know, yeah. we have a, le- we have yeah. a lease, you oh know, and, and I could tell things, you know, I had been trying to just do it in the evenings or on weekends and it just wasn't getting done. You know, I think we started packing like a month or even six weeks before, but then like really the last two weeks I completely lost to just moving and packing yeah, packing. Yeah. And, and it was, um, I felt really guilty about that because I was like, man, I should be, you know, I'm getting paid to do work and I'm, I'm not doing a lot of work because I'm mainly packing. And, and so that was really hard for me. And, you know, at, at some point actually I was in talking to my therapist, she was just like, you just need to let that go, you know, cause this is the reality. It's just like, you need to, you need to pack this stuff and you need to get out of here, you know? And so in the end, that's kind of what I did is I was just like, kind of forgave myself that and um and that was difficult but you know hopefully hopefully it's okay you know? <laughs> my PhD advisor <laughs> seems fine with it so um you know the just getting all of that stuff ready but then you know as you mentioned saying goodbye to a therapist you know who I've seen for five and a half years no. Oh, wow. And, yeah. You know, saying goodbye to really great friends. I had just such great friends in Boston and um you know, saying goodbye to, I love the food in Boston. Oh, I had to go to all my favorite places. <laughs> so that, those were all hard things. Um, and so what did I do? So one thing is I made sure to take time with each, each person that I really, you know, wanted to say goodbye to and then have joint things as well and try to get in, you know, everyone. It's hard. It's impossible. In fact, I missed, you know, several people that I would have liked to, um, see more, but thankfully I'm coming back to Boston in the fall and we'll hopefully be able to do some of that. Um, so that's one strategy. The other strategy was just really self-care in terms of if you can't cut sleep, you know, um, I feel like sleep is the first thing we want to cut at any, any yeah. opportunity at a conference or, um, you know, any period of stress or like work stress. It's like sleep is the first to go, but I feel like it should be the last to go, you know? And so mm-hmm. you know, I made sure I got, you know, eight and a half, uh, hours of sleep, uh, 
a night uh, and exercise. You know, I still, like, even when I got here, you know, I don't have a gym yet or anything, but I just started doing little short runs runs along the beach because, you know, I'm in Scotland and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the, um, uh, so, you know, just making sure I do sleep and exercise uh, is my two main go-to self-care strategies. But as I mentioned, I think I got sick because my plan did fail to get sleep on our move day, on our overnight flight, and then we had our whole kafoo with our cat being held up in customs for a, a day, and when I was supposed <laughs> to be taking a nap, uh, getting ready for my cat's arrival, I was instead trying to get more proof of his rabies vaccine and, and prior parentage, you know, from the customs people, so it turned out to be like I didn't get any sleep. I had it planned in. I had like a whole like you know, six hour nap planned in for that day to make sure that I recovered from that overnight flight and that all went out the window, (laughs) you know, pretty quickly. The other thing I did was I intentionally didn't start right away. So sometimes that's impossible. And that added a bit to our financial stress because of course I'm not getting paid for, um, you know, two months. I took two months off. I took a road trip around the U S while our stuff was on the boat, you know, uh, coming over here and then, and then I'm one month off while, you know, this month of September. And I really just wanted to take that time to, um, do some things that I have missed out on, you know, in the last six years of grad school. I really like to write. I really like to dance and paint and do all these fine art activities that I just can't really spend a lot of time on usually. So that's kind of been what I would like to do uh, this month. And that kind of is built into my self-care routine because they're things I really enjoy. And I'm not jumping into, you know, literally landing and having to show up to work the same day, which was recommended partially to me, <laughs> you know, because there was my, I, so we had an overnight flight from Boston and then there was literally a one day exoplanet conference that day that we landed in Edinburgh. And they're like, Oh, you, you could come. And I was just like, no, <laughs> I'm going to be on three hours of sleep. Um, and so I didn't no, I did not do that. Some some people suggested that I could just show up to this conference, and I was like, man, it's an overnight flight. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I would absorb nothing. Also, I would personally absorb nothing. Like immigrating into the country, right? Like I had to like go through customs (laughs) and like you know all these you know like have my landing permit and have all my paperwork in order. Plus, we have like tons of bags for maximum luggage allotment, and I have a cat. I mean. No, it's just not going to happen, right? So, um, oh, Sarah, I'm glad end, you didn't try. No, I didn't. That was that was a laughable, like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That suggestion is that's absurd. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, it's funny because it was phrased to me in the way, but then you could charge it to your travel budget, and for a moment, my cheap side was like, huh. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> seconds before I was like, no, that's horrible. No, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. I was thinking, um, I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I wanted to cite at least one source for um, the health, the very real uh, mental and physical health costs uh, to traveling. And in fact, I was going to reference this piece from The Economist um, about hypermobility. Uh, so in particular, it was sort of crafted to address the health um, of business travelers, so people who are on planes a lot. But I think a lot of the same ideas are really relevant that um, it's just hard. Like you were saying, Sarah, like you're sick. You know what I mean? And I was constantly trying to get, like, snatches of extra sleep uh, to ward off 
just feeling sick because it uh it's true between the jet lag and like the sheer effort of packing like this tetris thing that you're describing um it's really really hard and even like the process of flying places i guess that's also just part of being an astronomer um well, but it really highlights it sick, right like i don't know i i feel like a, oh, yeah. a lot of my flights there's someone like coughing <laughs> And my self-care strategy for that is not really that great. I normally turn the air on right on me <laughs> and I kind of just breathe on air. I literally did that one flight. It actually worked. I don't know. I mean, I didn't get it anyway. <laughs> a small number of statistics for that, find, for that finding. <laughs> and of one, even for me, you know, I don't know. And of one, and of one. Um, uh, let me, I, I think my strategies are really similar to yours. I felt almost like I had, uh, analogously to moving out of my apartment, I had a cupboard that was almost bare, like of energy reserves. So I had little jars of energy for things that really, really mattered to me. And I had very little energy for anything else. So like I knew I had set aside a jar that I was going to crack open for that last therapy interaction so that I would have the emotional reserves to draw on to say a proper goodbye and to really tell this person what she meant to me and come from a place of really feeling present, you know, and not just being checked out and thinking like when, you know, I just got to get this over with and got to get on the plane and, you know, have my, have my mind already be um, in Boston while my body's in Seattle. So I had set aside uh, emotional reserves for these individual things and for saying goodbye to friends. So what that meant was that I did not willy nilly, you know, without, consideration spend emotional energy doing other things i was spending a lot of time resting in my apartment or really going for walks and listening to music kimia dawson has gotten me through a few different moves now this particular artist i like to go to this park that i lived very close to in seattle listen to music and go look at this really lovely water reservoir um with a space needle in the background and just kind of look at that watch the sunset so very quiet things because i was preserving information on the inside, or I was preserving energy on the inside. And another major thing that I realized this time is that I had this really, I guess I always have the same kind of patterns where uh, I'll kind of admonish myself for being lazy. Like you were saying, um, you're packing up everything and you're moving your entire life and you're like, I should be working too. You know, and I was, I was feeling so sad about moving that I was telling myself, like, if you want to have control over where you live, then you just have to work harder. It doesn't make sense that you work less, you know, and I was really just berating myself about it. And um, I was kind of realizing this pattern that I have for whenever I kind of feel low, I'll just be more, um, yeah. just be harder on myself. Yeah. And more self-critical at a period of time when I need to be gentler. So I was really struggling with that this time because I was telling myself, why are you being so lazy, Sarah? You know, you really need to get it together if you don't want to have to move again. You know, yeah. or whatever. Or, or just like, I should be more efficient. I should or be I more should, efficient. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should do this. I should be superwoman, you know, and, and just have yeah. all this stuff together. Or I would yeah. say, uh, what I was saying to, um, to friends and to my therapist at the time was, I wish I could just compartmentalize, you know, yeah. like I'm having all these feelings about moving. Why can't I just work and then deal with it after? And she was saying, you know, there are people who compartmentalize, but, um, and you could do that, but it doesn't, it doesn't make for a better life. Yeah. You know, it, it's not a happier life that you have when you haven't integrated um, your lived experiences to one kind of coherent picture of your life and where it's going. So it doesn't make sense to pretend 
um, that moving shouldn't affect your work, yeah. like you were saying originally. Um, your state of mind really affects uh, your productivity and the quality of your work and, and so on. Um, and like, though that's absolutely true that, you know, it's it, it would be absurd to think that moving wouldn't affect work. On the, on the other hand, mm-hmm. one thing I did, one strategy I actually did find helpful was one thing that my mentor, mm-hmm. uh, Sally, recommended was to just, you know, during, really just for the two days where we were moving over the ocean, like the long flight, you know, collecting our mm-hmm. cat at customs, going through customs, going, you know, you know, knowing that I was going to get like no sleep and then having a long travel from the airport to our, our little town that we live in and not knowing where anything was, that was going to be like 40 hours of travel. Whoa. Because we couldn't check in to our apartment. It was a whole, well, you know, it was a nightmare. Anyway, point is, um, <laughs> so, so what my mentor said, and I did use this strategy a bit, she was like, you know, I think it was Navy SEALs. I don't know. They just focus on getting to the next meal. Like, just, just get to the next yeah. meal, Sarah, you know, and like, just focus on, okay, I'm just going to live out this Ooh, stretch, like you know, mindfully right now in this space. Because what can happen is... If you over let in everything, it can be so overwhelming that you can shut down. You know, if you like yeah. take in all of the, I've just moved to a new country, I'm going to be starting a postdoc and I'm terrified about that, and I'm missing all my friends, and you know, I don't even know if my cat's going to get through customs. You know, if I let all of that in, it's yeah, going to be know, a nightmare. <laughs> but if you just, you know, okay, Sarah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have lunch, you know, in three hours and I'm really excited and I'm just going to get yeah. there and then, you know, take a nap and get to the next meal, dinner or whatever you can, that, that helped a bit as a strategy to just, you know, for a short term kind of marathon burst, um, you know, to, That's smart, to just Sarah. try to focus on just get to the next meal. Yeah, I really like that too. Breaking things down into manageable chunks. Um, that's there's a lot of wisdom there. Sally's so smart. <laughs> One final thing is also the fact that we know periods of transition are often linked with higher levels of imposter syndrome, and so just oh, yeah. you know we've already talked about the imposter syndrome on this podcast, but typically I find and and you know maybe you are are different or the same that often when you have a new thing like I was just getting comfortable as a grad student and now you know, becoming a postdoc is more terrifying. And, and I feel like that's happened kind of consistently whenever I've been, you know, a new undergrad or a new grad student, or, you know, I'm expecting now, even though I haven't been hit with its onslaught quite yet, because I haven't started, you know, as a, as a postdoc or any times of transition is a real, you know, key breeding ground for imposter thoughts. So that's just another factor yeah, that can be, make moving in addition to all the just logistical hassle of moving, make it that much more emotionally taxing. Well, we should probably yeah. uh, wrap it up. Um, as much as I love talking to you and seeing your face uh, on Skype, it's such a treat. Um, so uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Self-Care with Dr. Sarah. I'm, I'm Sarah, Sarah B. R. And thank you for joining and us. And thank you for listening. <laughs>